Lord. I pray this morning as we expound just a little bit upon this great chapter of Psalms 118 that you will help each one in this room understand that we ought to put our trust in the Lord and not to trust men or even princes of men. Bless us today in Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. Verse 8 says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Now, the reason that I want to read that verse again, it is said that this verse is the middle verse of the entire Bible. There is 31,174 verses in the Bible. And verse 8 of Psalms 118 is the 15,587th verse in the Bible. Now, in a sense, then, it could be said that this is the uh, general theme of the Bible. This ought to be the theme of our heart. Trust in the Lord and not in man. Now, it is believed that this psalm was, for many years, sung as part of the thanksgiving rendered after the observance of the Passover. Now, some believe this was the song sung by Jesus and the disciples at the end of the institution of the Lord's Supper the night before Jesus was crucified. Now, notice the verse says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in the man, in man. Now, I want to ask the question then, does this not mean we are never to have confidence in another person? No. If you study the Bible, you find instances, for instance, that Jonathan and David, for one, uh, loved and trusted each other so much that they put their lives in one another's hands. So it is not to say by this verse that we're never to trust man. But what this verse does mean, it does mean that we are not to put our trust and our faith in man concerning our, our salvation. Our trust must be in the Lord and in Him alone. Now, I want to apply this verse to five important truths as taught in the Scriptures. Number one, uh, we ought to apply this verse in deliverance or our salvation. Verse 8 says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Sometimes in the Bible, salvation means deliverance. The two words go hand in hand. Deliverance, as it is used many times in the New Testament, means to free from, to release, to set free, make free, to rescue by delivering, to save. The word denotes redemption and release from bondage. Therefore, speaking about being saved, it is better to trust in the Lord for deliverance and freedom from the penalty of sin then than it is to put confidence in man. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 13 says, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. Now notice the Bible says then that it is the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is the author of salvation. The Lord is the one who planned our salvation. The Lord is the one who finished our salvation. Therefore man had absolutely nothing to do with it. Psalms 3 and verse 8 says, Salvation belongeth to the Lord, not to man. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Therefore, man cannot 
make you to be saved, and man cannot keep you from being saved. I'm so thankful today that there's not a man on the face of this earth can keep me from being saved. You ever thought about that? Oh, you might not have any enemies. I've made a few. Uh, being saved and witnessing to people and serving the Lord, a lot of people don't like that. But I got news for you. I don't care what men think of me. There ain't a one on the face of this earth can keep me from being saved. Because salvation is not a man. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God. Any gift of man is a gift of God. Now I wonder how many women and, and men and boys and girls have trusted in man and, and man's creeds and man's catechisms and man's dogmas rather than in the Lord to, to deliver them from sin and its penalty. The Bible says it is better to trust in the Lord than to put uh, uh, in the Lord than to put confidence in man. So number one, concerning deliverance and salvation, you better trust the Lord, not man. Number two, in doctrine. Now, we must be sure that our doctrinal position then is absolutely true to the Word of God. Now, it's amazing to me how much of the so-called doctrines of religious bodies cannot be found in the Bible. Many times you ask somebody, uh, what do you believe? What is the doctrines of your church? And they'll give you the doctrines. I had uh, some Jehovah's Witness come to my door here a while back, and the Bible tells you how to try the spirits. So don't try them on to try them out to see who they are of. And the Bible tells you how to do it. And so these three Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, and by the way, I don't let them in, and neither should you. And so I stepped outside and closed the door behind me, and in dealing with them, uh, I asked one of the young fellows that was with him, I said, let me ask you a simple question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God come in flesh? He said, uh, well, certainly I believe that. I said, no, you don't. He said, well, I know I do. I said, then you're not a Jehovah's Witness. You ought to quit going around calling yourself a Jehovah's Witness. Because the Jehovah's Witness doctrine says, the doctrine of the faith of Jehovah's Witness says that Jesus Christ is a Son of Man. He's just like you and I. He's just another man. And you come to my house saying that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God so that you don't believe your own doctrine. It's very strange to me how many churches, how many religious, how many religious organizations have doctrinal statements that doesn't conform to the doctrines of the Bible. John chapter 7 verse 16 and 17 says, My doctrine is not mine. But he is that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. Now you know what doctrine means? Doctrine means teaching. Teaching. Jesus clearly stated that his teachings or his doctrine was of God and not of man. A man was witnessing to another man one day about being saved. Finally he asked the man, what do you believe? He answered, I believe just like my church believes. Well, what does your church believe? My church believes just like I believe, was his answer. You know what I think? I doubt seriously he even knows what he believes in. Many people 
Whatever the church says is okay. Whatever the preacher says is okay. Whatever my uh, religious organization says is okay. You better make sure that the doctrinal statements that you believe are according to the Word of God. Now, Jesus said of the scribes and Pharisees of his day in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 9, But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's the scribes and the Pharisees. That's the unbelievers. But yet they went around teaching the doctrines and the commandments of men. Now, people were astonished at the doctrines or the teachings of Jesus. You know why? When he preached on hell for the lost, when he preached about heaven for the saved, when he preached that salvation is in a person and by grace through faith and never ends, and all his teachings were and are founded on the Bible, God's Word. People were astonished at that. When you think of doctrine or what a person believes, there are some very important questions you better ask. Number one, is it built upon the Word of God? There's one thing that I encourage everybody that comes and sits under my preaching, or if I go into a home and witness to them, back what I say up with the Word of God. You take the Bible. If what I'm trying to teach you is not taught in the Scriptures, then you leave. You get you somebody that will teach the Word of God. I have people all the time say to me, Preacher, I can't go to my church with my family. I, do you mind if I come to your church and bring my family when they come visit me? Because my pastor don't stay to the Word of God like I know he ought to be, but I just don't want to leave our church. That's where I have my membership, and that's where I've been all of my life, and my mom and daddy was there. Bless my soul, you better get out from under it. You better get out from under it. Let me give you something. But in, man, in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. Oh, that's dangerous. Number one, is it built upon the Word of God? You ought to ask that question. Number two, has it changed my life? Has it changed your life? Brother, if the teachings of God doesn't change your life, something's wrong. It's not the teachings of God. It's something wrong with the teachings that you're sitting under. Number three, could you recommend it to a dying man? If somebody is dying... I never will forget on, a, on Highway 301 and, and Highway 50, there's an intersection, real bad intersection. Many bad accidents have been caused right there. It has happened right there. One morning in the fog, I mean, it was so foggy you couldn't hardly see a hit. I was easing down the road, and I got to that intersection in two of those big rock trucks that hauls 15 yards of rock. Uh, collided. One was going down 301 and one come across 50 and they met right in that intersection and rocked everywhere and as I got there there was a man with the top of his head cut off and he was flopping around like a fish out of water uh, just flopping around on that rock and I ran over and grabbed him and held him down and held him in my arms. I never will forget it. Sometimes I can't get the picture out of my mind but I remember one thing, brother. I got the doctrine. I got the right teachings. I can recommend to that man the same Christ Jesus that I know. 
I can recommend to that man the blood atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I shall be saved. I don't know if he understood me. I don't know if he heard me at all. But I know he was still breathing, brother. And long as there's breath, there's life. And I got to thinking of many, many times in his self-conscious, if he heard me, he could call upon the name of the Lord and shall be saved. But brother, you don't have the right kind of doctrine. You better know when it comes to dying. Let me give you another one. Could you recommend it to a dying man? Number four, will it stand the test of the fire of the judgment of God? Brother, I'm going to ask you something. When you sit under the teachings, when you sit under somebody's teachings, is it going to stand at the judgment of God one day? All things will be tested by fire one day. The Bible says this old book right here will stand the test. This doctrine will stand the test. Is your teachings in? Listen, the Bible says it's better to trust in God than to put confidence in man. You don't put your confidence in what a man says. You put your uh, trust in God. Number three, not only should we apply Psalms 118.8 to our salvation, our deliverance, and to our doctrines, but we need to apply this verse to our duty. Our duty. I believe we ought to know what we're supposed to do after we're saved. What are we supposed to be doing? Somebody says, I know what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to just sit around and study the Word of God. That's good. That's good. Somebody says, I know what we ought to do. The Bible says pray without ending. That's good. That's good. You ought to study the Word of God. You ought to pray and ask God's power upon your life. But I want to ask you something. What are you studying the Word of God for? What are you praying for? The Bible says over and over and over again, we are to bear fruit. That's our duty. Somebody said, I've been faithful in the house of God. I give my money to see the work of God forwarded. That's my duty. No, sir, brother, that's not your duty. Let me give you something tonight. I never will forget my former pastor, Brother Schaefer, preaching on the fire. And I was assistant pastor sitting on the platform with him, and we had three other men sitting on the platform, the music director and the associate pastor, and he said, I'm going to use these men. I want to demonstrate something to you. And he said, now, he said, Brother Strawn, you carry the ladder. He, he called one of the other men, and he said, your job is to handle the hose. He said to the other one, your job is to drive the fire truck. He said, now, when I ring the bell, I want you to tell me what is your duty to do. And he rung the bell, ding-a-ling-a-ling. He said, what was your duty? He said, to drive the truck. He said, what's your duty? I said, to carry the ladder. He said, what's your duty? To carry the hose. He said, wrong! Your duty is to put the fire out. And I'll never forget it as long as I live. Brother, that taught me a lesson about soul winning. That taught me about something about the Word of God. Our job is not just to read the Word of God. Our job is not to just to be prayer warriors. Our job and our duty according to the Word of God is to win the loss to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're left here. Our one duty is to win the loss to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19 says, And he saith unto them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I think that one verse says volumes. This statement of Jesus is plain and simple. And it be, could, could be understood by every believer and directed to every believer. 
what God wants every Christian to be a soul winner. The reason for any church to be dead, spiritually dead, is because the members of that church is not winning the loss to Christ. You want a dead church? You want a place that you can walk in the door and nothing can be felt, no tears to be shed, no heart throb to be known? Brother, you let the members of that church never win a soul to Christ. You let the members of that church never care about the, the souls of men. And you will have a dead church. Dead church. I've learned something over the years. There's nothing that excites me no more. There's nothing to make me preach any harder. There's nothing to make me sing any louder than to go out during the week and win somebody the Lord Jesus Christ and have them to come down the aisle when you give the invitation. You know without a doubt they're born again and they're fixing to walk them eyes for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing like it in all the world. It's life. That's life. Jesus talked about the church being a live organism. It's not some uh, uh, club. It's not some organization. It's an organism. It's alive. The church is alive. You know what makes it alive? The breath of a church is soul winning. Soul winning. It'll make it alive. I remember when I was at Temple Heights Baptist Church and driving a Sunday school bus and heading up the primary department and I sang in the choir. I know. Some of y'all say, you sang in the choir? Yep. I did. And sang good too, man. At least I thought so. Everybody else sat around doing this, but I don't care. I sang it for the glory of the Lord. And I didn't care. And I'd get up there, man, I'd sing, and I'd look back, and I'd been out that weekend, won somebody to Christ, and they'd come in and say, and I'd punch somebody and say, There they are, praise God, they made it. And the preacher sang, and the invitation to the choir to stay in the loft back in those days. We were so full, the choir out of step there, and he'd give an invitation. I said, They're going to come. They're going to come. I know they're going to come. And I'd get all excited and punching the people around me and say, I know they're going to come because I know they accepted Christ. Brother, that's life. That's life. You know what to make a dead church? Come in, sit down, fold your arms, say, okay. What do you got to tell me? You can't tell me nothing. I ain't already heard. That's a dead church. When you go out and win souls, brother, you'll get so excited about it, you'll about blow up to tell somebody, so and so got saved. Glory to God that got born again. That's what makes a live church. So our Christian duty is to win the lost of Christ. Our Christian duty is to uh, win souls. And then our Christian duty is to fellowship. Not only to we are to win souls, but we are to fellowship. We are to assemble ourselves together in the house of the Lord with God's people. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking assembling ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. Now, I was reading something, and a, and a preacher in the commentary that I was reaching said this statement, Nothing is said in the Bible about Wednesday night meetings. I got to look at it. Do you know I can't find one thing in the Bible that said anything about Wednesday night? In fact, I don't even know if I had Wednesday nights back then. I don't know, but it ain't in the Bible. There's not one thing said about Wednesday nights in the Bible. By the way, there's nothing said about Sunday nights in the Bible. There's nothing said about Thursday night visitation in the Bible. 
But let me give you something that is taught in the Bible. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking the bread and in prayer. All right then. You don't want me to have Wednesday night service? Let's have it every night then. Because the Bible says we ought to fellowship. We ought to break bread. Let's get together every time we can. Every time the doors are open, brother, you ought to be in your place because the duty of a child of God is to fellowship with other believers. You know, I never have. They would.